that, and it's, sometimes it's, it's just helpful to have something that's animated with beheaded animals to put things together in Scripture that sometimes are more confusing. One of the things that, that um, we talked about last week is that um, the idea of, I can't wait to go to heaven when I die, is something that is a little bit more of a manufactured current reality as far as what we talk about than it was the New Testament and Old Testament. The Old and New Testament definitely talked about this, this fact that once I die, I am, if I am in Christ, I am with God. And honestly, if there's going to be a new heaven, there has to be an old one. So heaven is a fine descriptor for all the things that God is doing. Um, but it's what we talk about when we talk about heaven and what we get excited about what we see in scripture is not that disembodied state right after I die. It's what Jesus is going to do when heaven and earth come together. That's why, um, again, the set that we made, we made it so it looks like heaven itself is dripping down the natural renovation work that Jesus has authored. And so um, when Jesus, uh, before Jesus went back to be with the Father, he said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And so for 2,000 years, Jesus has been preparing a place. And the place he's preparing for you is not this exciting disembodied state right after we die. It's what he has to come. And that is amazing. So just to put it a little bit more briefly, if I'm someone who's rejected the restorative work of Jesus, I don't want to have, I want an independence from Christ. I don't want that. That's not my story. It's not my deal. That's your deal. That's fine, but it's not mine. And I go to my grave saying, I want independence of God. I get the answer to my prayer in that. And that right after I die, truth is, I don't go to hell. I don't go to purgatory. I don't go to some limbo state. We don't see those in Scripture. Hell is a future judgmental reality for those outside of Christ. It's not immediate. So someone who has rejected the restorative work of Jesus, their first encounter in that disembodied state will be, honestly, whatever happened in life that was the worst moment in life, it will be worse than that because there will be no hope. They're not only going to be disconnected from their physical body, but there's, they're with the reality that they're disconnected from God. But as bad as that is, and again, worse than any of the worst moments they had in life, it won't be as bad as the lake of fire, hell, which is to come. Flip side of that, if someone has opened themselves up, according to Scripture, to the restorative work of Jesus, um, and they die before the end. So before Jesus comes back, if they die, they are in a disembodied state and the reality about that state is um, as much as it's, I'm not reconnected with my body, I'm, the, the new heaven and new earth has not come together, um, as, as much as that, that's not there yet, whatever the best moment in their life, and so if you're a Christian, whatever the best moment of your life has been so far, let's just say that it, the best is yet to come, okay? But let's just say it's not. And the best moment was 10 years ago or five years ago. Whatever the best moment on this earth was for you, that experience of being with Jesus will be far greater. But that's not as good as it's going to get. The good and the best of that is yet to come when heaven and earth fuse together in this thing that Scripture looks forward to as heaven. That is what I'm super excited about. Now, the interesting thing is that um, we see... Um, a lot of times when we're talking about heaven to come, we talk about our life now. And that's actually where we're going to be in the book of Colossians. If you've got your Bibles, um, open up your, your, your Bibles or on your phone to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is where Paul's talking. He, he kind of gets into heaven, but in a, in a sneaky way, kind of a weird way. Because he, he ends up talking after this passage. We're not going to read it this week. Probably going to get to it next week. It talks about um, this thing called righteousness, which is basically another way of saying right standing with God or a life 
well lived. Like if, if, if you're living in the life that God's designed you for, you're operating the way that the designer has designed, you're living life to the full, even in a broken planet. And you get to the end of a life like that, and that was a life well lived. I've done two funerals recently, and, and it's, been, it's been an honor to be able to say in some of these funerals, because you can't say them at all, but that was a life well lived. And, and Paul, when he gets over here, he starts talking about stuff that a lot of Christians um, are, you know, are known for. This is like a different perspective on morality. Like, how do you treat people that, that hate you? How do you? How do you treat people that drive you nuts? Um, what, how do you tell all of the impulses within yourself that, that are war with who God is and what he's calling you to? And how do you say no to those things? That's like all in this land. And, and you get, and you start living out the way that the designer has designed you. And you can look at it and say, that is a righteous life or a right standing with God life or a life well lived. But just before that passage, kind of right after the passage we're going to read today, he talks about one of two things that are at war with this, that actually help us not experience that to its fullest. And the first of those is self-indulgence. Just after these verses that we're we're focusing in on, he talks about how self-indulgence actually um, is at war with that. Because a lot of times people are like, okay, so I want to live a life well lived. I want to get to the end of my life and go, boom, that was amazing. I lived it up to my fullest. And so what they, their answer to doing that, the way that they get there is that they are self-indulgent. Okay, so no one tells me what to do, man. I stay up as late as I want. And I, I honestly, when I got into college and I had no one on my back about my bedtime, it was phenomenal. But I, I, I could stay up as late as I want. I can eat as much as I want. People are like, okay, I can drink as much as I want. No one's giving me a script for my life. No one's like feeding me, hey, you got to do this or that. I I get to do whatever I want to do. And that is how I get to that until they realize what a waste of life that is. And this is why so many people end up in their midlife and later life with so much regret because this didn't work. And a lot of times when they figure that out, they go the opposite direction, not self-indulgence, but self-denial. In order to get to a life well lived, they're going to get more structured and very religious, perhaps. A lot of world religions are this. I'm going to be living in self-denial. I'm going to say no to this. I'm not going to touch this. I'm not going to eat that. And Paul, in chapter 2, just before this passage, he says, this is not a way. This is not a way to get there either. There's tons of people who think I'm going to be the best person by, by, by not doing this, and I'm going to hem myself in, and I'm going to live out this structured life. And they end up being super religious, and they start tacking on new rules onto religion that even the scripture doesn't call for. And then on top of that, they look down at other people. They feel super religious, and, super, and they think this is it. This is how I live a better life than you, a life well lived. And Paul's like, no, that's, that's totally messed up. You end up judgmental and jerky, but you're not ending up with the life well lived. So how do we get there? He talks about that in the first four verses. So if you could stand as we read chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Right after talking through the fact that self-denial or, or you know, this don't touch, don't take, you know, being that type of person isn't going to get you here, he tells us how we can. And it has everything to do with Jesus. He says, since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. The cool thing that we see here is this. Paul is is saying this. You want to get to here? It's not going to be by doing whatever you want or restraining yourself as much as you can. It's not going to be by being super pagan and hedonistic or, or, or super religious. 
That's not how you get to a life well lived. That's not how you get to righteousness. The way that we actually get there is by thinking about what we have to come. In other words, to better live the now, we focus on the future. To better live the now, we focus on the future. He says, okay, you need to be, this new, this thing that Jesus said he was going to prepare for us, this heaven, this heaven and earth fusion, you need to seek that heaven by thinking that heaven. Like, let that wash over you. Let, let this future reality be the thing that actually, you're aiming at that, at the life that that will be. And by doing that, it's going to start to bleed into your everyday decisions, which is going to help you better live the now. Simply by focusing on the future. This is, this is kind of our key point because one of the problems that we've had, and I'm going to say I'm super guilty of this, is when painting the picture of what heaven is going to be like to the next generation or even this current generation. You want to know what our, the painted picture we have of eternity is, how exciting it is? This, is? this is basically the vision we cast right here. That's it. That's the picture that we've sent about how amazing heaven is. It's going to be, I don't know, but it's going to be forever yeah, and we're probably going to sing a ton. Woo! And then like that, all of a sudden people are like, okay, this is why, this is why I'm not into your heaven. Because honestly, every bit of my daily life pleasures are better than that. At least for a time frame. And again, I told you guys about my son Carson, who one honest, in an honest moment when he was really, really super young, he's sitting there in, in, in a, um, a room in our house and he just starts to cry. And I was like, what's wrong? What, what, what happened? And he's like, I've just been thinking about heaven. And I was just like, oh, he's so, he's so happy. <laughs> like, Dad, it just sounds so boring. <laughs> it's like forever. Like, what, what, what if you get tired of singing forever? Like, what, like I'm going to get, I can only do things like this amount of time, and then I'm bored, and you're saying it forever. That sounds awful. And it is awful. Like it, it, and it, the reality is I was sitting there thinking, that's what I've cast. That is what I've cast to my son. And, and if he's a thinking person, experiencing life, going through life, he's going to say, you know what? Everything is better than that. Everything. And the truth is, is that we have something far greater to fantasize about, to focus on, to get wrapped up in than that to look forward to. If you're part of the restoration, man, you've got bucket list busting realities coming right at you that open up the reality that God has created you for so much more. The uh, novelist, 1800 novelist, Nathaniel Hawthorne put it this way, our creator would never have made such lovely days and have given us the deep hearts to enjoy them above and beyond all thought unless we were meant to be immortal. The the things that you long for in this life, the things that you're passionate about in this life, that you just feel like they're fleeting, or those moments when everything just seems to be like it fits and it's good. And you're like, oh, I just wish I could make this go on forever, but I can't because reality swoops in. That hunger, that drive is what you were created to experience. And that is what he will gift you with in eternity. There are five realities that we should be fantasizing and focusing about that will actually spill into our everyday life, impacting this, the now. To better live the now, we have to focus on the future. We have to focus on future celebration. Again, one of the things we see in Scripture that surfaces for the first time is, is one of the first things we realize is that there's going to be a celebration. And again, we, we think about any type of celebration, especially with church people, as being super lame. Okay, so... The author of Revelations, John, does not say, Revelation, does not say, hey, guess what? This is going to be like the best church party ever. 
It's described as a celebration. Now, I want you to think about what type of celebration this is. Have you ever been wanting something for so long, looking forward to something so long, but it felt like you were cursed, and it just never happens, but then, all of a sudden, in a moment, it takes place. And all of a sudden, people are jumping and screaming and crying because after all this time, finally, that's what it's going to kind of be like. It's going to be kind of like that moment when someone who is rescued as a five-year-old meets the person who rescued them for the first time and sees them face to face. It's going to be like that. It's going to be like the, the best dinner party gathering where everybody is together. Now, the thing is, is that we have to understand this is akin. Those things combined are a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what we are going to experience when he makes all things new and we celebrate in the future state. The book of Revelation says, Then the angel said to me, Write the following. Blessed are those who are invited to the banquet at the wedding celebration of the Lamb. The prophet Isaiah envisions this. Someone asked me recently, do we eat in heaven? The prophet Isaiah envisioned, he said, this is what it's going to be like. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast. This is all in the new heaven and new earth. He will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that, unf- that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. I'll get to that in just a second. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. So here, here, here's the qualification of, of, of celebration that we have. The, when we're experiencing this celebration, it is going to be a, a thing that's going to impact, as it said, all peoples. The shroud that covers the nations The reason that Isaiah is saying this is going to be for all peoples is because oftentimes we have celebrations, but we feel disconnected. A lot of the times you get together with people and eat, it's a fight, right? And other times, but there was that one time where we got together and everything was just, the food was right, the drink was right, the commonality that we had was just perfect, and I wish I could have just held on to that forever. The cool thing that we see in this passage is that that is what is proclaimed, that it is this gathering together of all people How many times in life do we want this? And what we end up doing is we end up going to some type of celebration or some type of party because we don't want to miss out. We totally have a FOMO experience where we have a fear of missing out. And we go through life with this anxious feeling of missing out. And so I'm going to go to the party. And you know what? Maybe I'll do something at the party that I regret, but at least I'll be together. At least I'll have some community with people. At At least I'll be I feel like I'm t- we have a longing to belong. We long to belong. And in our longing to belong, oftentimes we will make the decision to lower our standards. And when we wake up the next morning and we realize what we've done or what, what, what took place, we feel shame. We feel that shame, but, but we're like, you know what? That's what everyone does. Because I need, I have a longing to belong. And Friday's coming and Saturday's coming and so... I could step into that again and give it another try. In our desire for celebration and community and fitting, we jump into that. That shroud that covers all nations, all people, that's the isolation and loneliness that only God and this future celebration can handle. So what does that do? If I'm actually 
focusing on that future celebration, I'm able to better live the now because I'm able to say, you know what? I'm not going to actually be the type of person who needs to jump into things and lower my standards just to experience them because I got a better, I got a far greater celebration coming. And it's cool. It's cool. No, thanks. But it's cool because I want to live a life that's going to be a picture of that. Amen? So it's a future celebration, but on top of that, we have a future education. I used to think that, that in heaven, I, and I told people this, I taught this, that the very first second of heaven was going to be this deafening moment where everyone finally has all of the questions they ever, ever had will suddenly be answered, like God just data dumped, downloaded all the answers to all the questions. Like you jump right to the back of the math book and it wasn't just the odd answers that were there. All of them were there. And it's like, boom, you got it. And all of a sudden that moment, there would be this deafening, oh, I don't believe that anymore. This is why I don't believe that. A lot of times people believe that because of passages like this in in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, now on this earth, we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then talking about the new heaven and new earth, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. The word for know is gnosko in that first one, um, which just basically means that. I I know something. But the second one is epigonosko, and you chuck that epi in there, and that means this, like, I I completely, expansively understand. But as much as it's like this, this total upgrade on understanding, what it is not is omniscience. We We'll have restored bodies. We'll have restored minds. We will have, be able to do things we never, we, all the things we could do on earth, we'll, we'll have the capacity and then some. But we will still be finite people. We'll have an infinite future, but we're not God, which means that we have the opportunity to learn. How, what is it that you've always wanted to learn, but you never had time for? In eternity, having the capacity, the ability to, to learn how to throw a fastball, the, the ability to build a boat in your garage. The, the, the opportunity to, to understand um, the sciences and, and be able to go into say, now I, I want to know, I want to learn science from, from God. I, I want to be able to understand, the, I want to understand photosynthesis better, but I want to understand what is the science behind the science of photosynthesis. Uh, what, if, what if you have the capacity to continue to grow in, in understanding? Jesus, God's own son, the second person in the Trinity, actually it's described that as he was walking on the planet as a young boy, he grew in learning and understanding. And so certainly in our redeemed bodies in eternity, we'll have the ability to continue to grow in our understanding. You want to learn astronomy? Go take a class by Galileo. You want to know about Civil War history? Go take a class by Abraham Lincoln. It's amazing. So you have the eternity to be able to continue to explore the depths of things you never understood before. You want to know what I think is going to be so cool? Is learning aspects about our our space-time continuum and all the things in space and everything else and finding out what God did. Heaven will not be a deafening, oh, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a series of hushed. That's so amazing. That's so amazing. That is so amazing. That is so amazing. Endless opportunity to expand in your understanding of how God did it. Future celebration, future education, and future creation. In eternity, back in the garden, go back to the first Eden, because the new heaven and new earth is that restored Edenic state that, we, that the video talked about. In the first garden, you've got pictures of the fact that God is bringing in Adam and Eve into the creative process. He wants their creativity to name the species, etc. And all throughout the Bible, you've got affirming the different arts and, and the way that they're, they're utilized for his glory. And so like, just imagine, what is it going to be like to draw 
in, in the new heaven and new earth, fully restored or to paint or to create or to write? What, what will the playwrights be like in eternity who are writing these new scripts that people can sit and enjoy? The film that will be able to be produced in the new heaven and new earth. And the crazy thing is, is as, as earthly as that seems, Romans 12 lets us know that whenever we're operating out of the gifting that God's given us for his glory, that it's worship. So will eternity be filled with worship? Absolutely. And how is that going to look? It's going to look like us doing the things on this planet. He gifted us with, gave us taste to do, etc. But on that level where it is no longer hindered. John Eldridge put it this way. Imagine all your creativity and gifting will be restored. And then some when you are restored. All of that latent potency inside of you, so damaged here, marred, frustrated, and never given the opportunity to grow and develop and express itself, completely restored, including your personality. And for some of us, that's a very, very good thing. Including your personality. From there, you are able to act in the new world in ways far greater than Adam and Eve were able to. You will have absolute intimacy with Jesus Christ, and his life will flow through your gifts unhindered. I can't wait to see what that's going to be like. Are you excited? Okay, let's keep going then. We have a future exploration as well. And this is the, even more than the creativity part. I'm super excited about this. This is one thing that I'm focusing on. Because you know what? There's lots of this planet that Jesus is going to restore. Again, he's taking all the, the effects of sin out of it. And we get a chance to explore the planet that he chose as our dwelling place as, as humans. As the dwelling place for the animal kingdom. We get a chance to explore it. Which brings us, of course, to The Lion King. How many of you guys watched The Lion King like when it first came out, which means that you're old? Okay, good. Thank you. Hands down. Um, how many of you saw it like when like, you were a kid, mom and dad had it on VHS or DVD or Blu-ray or whatever? Yes, okay. I remember I watched this for the very first time when it first came out. I was at the El Capitan Theater in, in Hollywood. My youth group went there. I'm like, well, what is this new animated movie, The Lion King? Looks lame. And then Elton John started singing. And all of a sudden, and you have got the, the whole first song, the circle of life happening, right? And it goes, you know, the whole thing, there's more to see than can ever be seen, that more to do than can ever be done, the circle of, right? And it gets to do the whole thing, and bam, black screen, the Lion King. I'm like, it's phenomenal. You guys got to watch it today. It's great. But have you ever realized how depressing that song is? The words to the circle of life are the most depressing words if there is no restoration for you. If you're not part of the kingdom, the restored new heaven and new earth, it is an honest look at how depressing our lives are. Okay? More to see than it ever can be seen. More to do than can ever be done. The circle of life. What's the circle of life? Dying. The more to do than can ever be done. You're all gonna die. That's the song. It's basically, there's so much to do, but I don't know. Maybe you'll be food for a bug one day, and that bug can go and experience some things you didn't. That is the real, and out of the anxiety of that, because even if you just are thinking about that now, we all live with that, which is why movies like this are made, where you have Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson talking about the fact that we are aging, and there are things that we haven't done. There's more to see than ever could be seen, more to do that could ever be done, so we've got to at least tack off the top 10 things that we have never made a priority in our life because we were living for other people, but now we're not. We're going to live for ourselves. We're going to live for ourselves, and we're going to go ahead and experience it because that we got to do, we got to accomplish this bucket list before we kick the bucket. A lot of you feel like me, 
When I was in the backseat of my parents' car driving through everywhere my parents would drive, I would be just staring out the window. This is before they had devices. Okay, so I'm staring. This is what kids, this is what us old people did. We looked out the window. That was our device. <laughs> you couldn't swipe or anything. It just, you look. <laughs> but I remember looking out the window. And, I, and along the highways, the, the freeways in Southern California, I remember... I remember seeing, like, again, it's Southern California. It's like a concrete jungle. It's, it's pretty ugly. It's nowhere near as green as that. But every once in a while along the freeway, you'd have a cluster of eucalyptus trees or some other kind of brush, and it looked like you could build a fort in there. And I remember thinking, I just wish my dad would stop the car along the freeway, <laughs> and I could get out and I could build a fort. I remember fantasizing about, like, okay, here's the plan. I'm going to run away from home. And I go along the I-5, and I'm going to go next to the 5, I'm going to go ahead and build a fort right in there, and I'm going to explore that. But I remember how depressing it was that Dad never stopped. The car just kept going. I just kept on looking at these possibilities to explore, go by one after another after another. And I said, one day, when I get my license and I have a car, I will stop the car, and I will explore those trees. And you know what? I didn't. You know why? I have places to go. I'm busy. It's not my kids that are watching me drive past. Some of you, especially as you're getting older, you start to see that you feel just as powerless. Life is going right past you. And the thing that's driving and the thing that's got the steering wheel is, is your aspirations, your, your career, your family, the craziness of getting kids everywhere or, or whatever. whatever. It doesn't matter if you've got lots of people in your life or it's all you. We find a way to let life become so busy. And then all of a sudden, urgency starts to slip in. And all of a sudden, we start saying, I have, and it's frustrating urgency, I have lived my life for every other person. I have not lived my life for myself. I'm going to start doing that now. And so we start making this fantasy list, a bucket list, right? And there's nothing wrong with, with wanting to go places, to explore places. I think it's great. If you can travel, that's great. But what this does, this is causes you to have a better life now by focusing on the future because all of a sudden you start to see the fact that, wait, I have eternity to explore all those trees all those trails, all those caves, to go back to that place that I grew up in and enjoy it, to, to actually to visit that city. I have eternity to explore these places and not just explore them, understand them. I have all of that ahead of me. And so what that does is it doesn't take any of my goals as far as travel and stuff off the table. It just takes the, the absolute desperate urgency out of the mix. And all of a sudden I could start to say, I've got eternity for that. My life needs to be invested in things primarily that I won't be able to do in eternity. Like invest in people that may or may not be there with me. And if I'm able to do that, man, I've got eternity to vamp off of the fact that I can look back and say that investment in people was a life well lived. And so I can go and explore these places then. Explore them now, explore them then, but you need to understand that one thing you should be focusing in on that will take away the urgency and the desperation is the fact that you know that you have eternity to look forward to. Future celebration, future education, future creation, exploration, and finally, future restoration. Now, this is something where you should say, okay, if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, Errol, we've already talked about this. Let's just put this one to bed. We talked about the fact that we're going to have new bodies. We talked about that already, that this is going to be a new earth. We talked about that already. Why are we going back to future restoration? 
because it's going to be a future restoration of relationships. I'm looking forward to doing all of the stuff that I just talked with you about. I hope you are too. But if I'm honest with you, the thing I'm most looking forward to is this. Last fall um, was when I was reading this book. Um, Katie Sievers recommended it to our team and we were reading it. And um, just what does scripture say about, about heaven, about the new heaven, new earth? And as Eldridge was talking and just bringing up all these awesome fantasies about what, what this reality is going to be, that we can put our hope in it because it's going to happen, my brain started to go to the relational side of things because we were getting, we were, at our house, we were getting ready for Christmas. And this was going to be one of the years, as I've told you before, that we were going to have like 1,000 McFaddens descending upon our house for multiple days, living there with each other, with each other. And I don't know about your family, but in my family, it doesn't always do this. A lot of times it's this. Parts don't fit. And that ticks me off. The reason that ticks me off is because I want to see this. And Julie would ask me, Errol, why, are you, why, why do you set yourself up for this? Why, why do you get so down when you look and see how your family is treating each other? And I said, because Julie, these are Christians. These are Christians. And they're acting like this. They, they should, they're the people that are the recipients of this with God. So why, why is it this? And I'm a pastor, so I know how to talk. And I've got the words. And I found that the more I talked, the worse it got. The only thing I did unifying people was unifying people to think that I'm an idiot. And I'm not saying that I was a saint in the whole thing. I was. But I'm not saying that. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I've I said the most toxic, visceral things I've said to any person in my life over the past five, six, seven years to my family out of frustration with their inability to do this. And I could keep on having the expectation this is going to happen. These are Christians. But Julie said something to me that I'll never forget, and I'm going to tell you, and I hope you never forget it. She said, Errol, there are some wounds, there are some wounds that only heaven can heal. There are some wounds that only heaven can heal. You want to know what I'm looking forward to doing in heaven with this group of people that are believers? I wonder if this is your story too. I'm looking forward to seeing people who, if the trajectory maintains its same course, will never do this now. Watching those people restored in their own soul, new bodies, new minds, new everything, and seeing each other for the first time. And I want to be there. I want to be there. When they see each other and all of a sudden I'm hearing, I'm sorry. I wasted so much time. And I thought I was right in how I handled that. I thought I was fine in what I did, and I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. And then the tears start to come, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like watching this, and I'm crying, and then all of a sudden they hug each other. And then I'm a mess. And out of my peripheral vision, Jesus walks in, and he does what the book of Revelation says that he'll do. He wipes away their tears. And he embraces them and says, okay, 
Now that we've got that straightened out, let's celebrate. If you're part of the restoration that Jesus authored, you are promised that. I would love it if all of those issues of fragmentation in your life right now are are taken away before you die, before they die. That would be wonderful. But for those redeemed by Christ, you have a promise that that old way of doing things and dealing with things is gone and this new one will be restored. And if that feels like unrealistic or any of the things I talked about seem like fantasy land, you have to realize that the things that we fantasize about most, the things that our hearts are drawn to most, have a heavenly ring to it. C.S. Lewis put it this way, heaven is reality itself. All that is fully real is heavenly. For all that can be shaken will be shaken and only the unshakable remains. All the brokenness and the sin and the dysfunction breaks away and what remains in eternity will be all that God designed us to experience. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it this way, your place in heaven will seem to be made for you and you alone because you were made for it. Church, Man, I hope you're excited. If you are not part of the restorative work of Jesus, this is not good news to you. This is good news for someone else, but it could be for you. If you want to put your trust in Christ and let that restorative work begin now and watch what it does in eternity, I'd love to talk with you after the service. But for the rest of us that are in Christ, this is our future. Focus on that. Focus on that. And you will find yourself living now far better because you're seeing what's to come. It'll give you passion for the day-to-day life. Amen? Amen. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Two things before we go.